How cool is it that we've prayed through 43 psalms together as a congregation this year? That's pretty neat to think about. Um, this morning, we are going to be in 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 16. Um, we just finished our series through the book of Esther, and uh, we'll be uh, starting next week with a series on the Incarnation, and then in the new year, we'll be diving into 1 John, so I'll be looking forward to that. Um, but today, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 16. And the title of this sermon is Not in Vain. We're going to begin with the reading of God's word. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother, taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted uh, one each one of you, and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out and, um, to the, and displeased God and opposed all mankind, by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. I always love those television shows where the actors or the reality show personalities are sitting around and talking about the show that they were on, usually discussing specific episodes or something like that, um, kind of like after the catch episodes on Deadliest Catch, if you've ever seen that show. It's all the sea captains sitting around and chatting about the dangerous situations that they were in that season what was going on in their minds, and how they handled certain situations. Today, we get to see something similar, except it's Paul recalling his former ministry in Thessalonica, 
with great thanksgiving for what God did. And he starts in verse 1 in saying this, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. I want us to stop here and ask a couple of questions. First, how do we know that their ministry to the Thessalonians wasn't in vain? Well, besides this verse explicitly telling us so, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 say this, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Their ministry to this city, Thessalonica, wasn't in vain because God had chosen them. The gospel was shared and amazing things happened. Now, before we move on, I want to try to press a point home to you. This passage and this message are for you. It's for you, Christian, part of the body of Christ, equipped for the work of ministry. I say that because it's so easy for us, for me, to to read passages like this and almost kind of deify Paul, making him into more of a a godlike minister than an actual human Christian. Now, this isn't to downplay Paul's apostleship, or the unique authority that God gave him. But I want us to see that he was human, who who ministered faithfully, and whose ministry was not in vain. I want to call you to the same thing this morning. I mean, isn't that what we all want as Christians? Faithful ministries to our friends, our family members, co-workers, and our church. We want to see those who don't believe one to Christ, and those who do believe to be built up in the church, all for the glory of God. But the question is, how? How do we do that? Why was their ministry so effective and not in vain? Before we dig back into Thessalonians, I want to let Scripture give us a a bit of context for what exactly Paul's talking about here. And to do that, we'll need to flip over to Acts chapter 16 and 17 for reference. Acts 16 and 17. And I'm just going to try to summarize what's happening here. Paul and Silas are busy ministering in Philippi when this demon-possessed girl starts following him. Paul turns and casts the demon out of the girl, therefore severely dampening her master's hope of making money off of her, because she previously could tell fortunes. So, Paul's there, and he's messing with the local economy. A semi-riot ensues, and Paul and Silas are captured. Okay. They're in Philippi, and then they get beaten. They're put in the stocks, and then in jail. Then they convert the jailer after singing, praying, and sharing the gospel. They're let go. Unreal, right? After that, I think I would probably just call it a year. 
I mean, wow, God, we took a beating for you, literally. Too much opposition. Must not be your will for us to continue in this ministry, right? No. Look what they do next. They continue on to, you guessed it, Thessalonica. They continue to share the gospel faithfully. People get saved. More people get upset. A mob forms, and they're quickly rushed out of town. Okay, that's the context. Back to 1 Thessalonians 2. Look at verse 2. He says, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Look at that. Amidst all that they've been through, they're, they're still declaring the gospel because, he says, we had boldness in our God. We had boldness in our God. How many of us shy away from declaring the gospel at even the slightest bit of conflict? Honestly, we even keep our mouths shut if we think there might be conflict. And you want to know why? It's because our boldness is not in our God. Friends, be honest with yourself this morning. Why don't we share the gospel? Think about it. The last time you had an opportunity, why didn't you share the gospel? Most of us keep quiet because our confidence is in ourselves and not in our God. This is the same God who created the ocean out there, all of the stars in the universe, volcanoes, and everything. If we truly had confidence in that God, the God of the Bible, do you think we'd be timid about sharing his gospel? Church, have confidence in your God. Declare his gospel, even if it means conflict. It won't be in vain. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. There it is again. Paul isn't there to please man, but to please God. Side note, I just want to make this really clear. He, he isn't there to purposefully displease man, but what he's getting at is that, that he's not there to preach a feel-good message just to avoid rocking the boat. He's there to tell them the truth. Because he loves them, and that pleases God. Same idea as before. Most of us, and I'm including myself here, most of us don't share the gospel that we've also been entrusted with because we tend to be people pleasers. As Ed Welch's book has famously pointed out, for us, people are big and God is small. We've put people in the position of our worship. 
We wouldn't say it that way, but that's exactly what we tend to do. We care more about pleasing people than obeying God. God, forgive us for where we've fallen into this trap. May we have boldness to share the gospel out of obedience to God and love for others. Paul goes on in verses 5 through 7. He says, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you. Do you see that? We were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to speak directly to you. What's true of Paul in this text is true of us here as a church as well. We're not here to flatter you. We're not here for your money. We're not here for our own glory. We want you to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God created man in his own image to have a relationship with him. But man rebelled, sinning against a holy God. And because of that, all of us, all of us with a capital A, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's absolutely nothing that any of us can do on our own to regain that relationship with God. That's the bad news. But here's the incredibly good news that we want you to know. Jesus, the Son of God, came here to earth and lived perfectly. He fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the law where we fell short. And then he died on the cross, taking the punishment that each and every one of us deserve. When we turn from our sin and trust in Jesus, his perfection gets credited to us. Isn't that amazing? Our punishment, on the other hand, which is God's full and just wrath that we deserve, gets placed on him, Jesus. That's the gospel. The same gospel that Paul shared with those in Philippi and was beaten for, and in Thessalonica, we want you to know and to believe that truth. It's our hope in this world. It's our only hope in this world. And we preach it to you this morning and always out of sincerity. So, Paul boldly shares that gospel with great confidence in his God, not seeking to please men, but here's the other side of it. We often have this, this idea in our mind that Paul is just this brash, rude, mow-you-over type of individual, don't we? But look at what he says in verse 7. He, he's preaching the gospel with boldness, that's true. But look at verse 7. Gentle like a nursing mother. Gentle like a nursing mother. What in the world? Nursing mother? Didn't you mean to say authoritative like an army general, Paul? Not the metaphor we expect out of a manly man like Paul. But 
This is another reason why his ministry was both faithful and fruitful. He has a tender affection for these people. He sees them as family members. In verses 1, 9, and 14, he calls them brothers. Do you notice that? In verse 11, he uses the metaphor of a father with his children. Think about that. Think about how that would change your whole demeanor towards someone that you're ministering to. I think about my little son Asher, who was over here earlier. If I'm trying to teach Asher something, the goal of my interaction with him isn't to outsmart him in an argument to feel that I've won. No. Out of love for him as a family member, I'm patient with him. Most of the time. As Christians interacting with the world, we're not just out there to win an argument or to humiliate someone with our brilliance. Do you see the balance here? Of being bold with the gospel, yet being gentle like a nursing mother caring for her own children? What a thought. Now, Paul continues on in verse 8, and he says something truly amazing. Verse 8, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. This verse is simply mind-blowing to me. First, he says, being affectionately desirous of you. This is not language that we commonly hear or use, even in the church, unfortunately. Paul, Silas, Timothy absolutely loved these people. This wasn't just kind of a deliver and dash type of thing they were doing. It wasn't just an information dump. They didn't just dump the gospel information on the people in Thessalonica and get out of there. They genuinely affectionately loved them. And look at what that kind of affection led to. Yes, first of all, again, they shared the gospel because they loved him. That's huge. But that's not all. He says, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. This word selves is literally translated souls. And we sometimes use language like this. We say, you know, I put my whole heart and soul into that project or that game or whatever. These guys, what he's saying is they were bought in 100%. They're committed to reaching these people for Christ. And remember what I said earlier. This isn't a passage or a sermon for someone else. This isn't just for super Christians like Paul. This is for us, every single one of us here this morning. Church, who are you sharing the gospel with and giving your own self? I'll ask again, who are you sharing the gospel with and giving also your own self? This isn't just a program or an event type of commitment where you can remain detached. 
He says, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, our own souls. It's a selfless, tiring, sacrificial, all-in commitment. This is what we're being called to as Christians. Take the risk of not only sharing the gospel, but your own soul. Friends, the gospel is fanned into flame when people share their own souls. Gospel seeds that are planted get watered. God causes them to grow through people sacrificially giving themselves. There's no sugarcoating this. It's hard work. Look at what Paul says in verse 9. He says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. Labor, toil, working night and day. That's not language for the lazy. This is evangelistic gospel commitment. Who are you pouring your life out for in this way, Christian? If the answer is no one, there's no guilt here this morning. Start first thing this afternoon. Who has God put around you? Neighbors, co-workers, friends. Share the gospel and give your own self to them. Pray. Ask God to help you in all of this. You can't do any of this in your own strength. It's only by the grace of God and his strength that any of this is even possible in the first place. So, let's quickly recap. Why was their ministry to the Thessalonians not in vain? First, because God had chosen them. Second, they had bold confidence in God amidst conflict. Third, they ministered to them like they were family. And fourth, They gave themselves fully. But there's even more that we can see from Paul's ministry to them in this passage. Keep looking at verses 10 through 11. He said, You were witness, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The apostles talked the talk. That much is for sure. But they also walked the walk. They lived holy, righteous, blameless lives. Now, this this isn't a claim to sinless perfection. We know that, that Jesus is the only human who ever lived without sin. But what is being said is that they modeled godliness. The way that they lived displayed the character of God. Again, I know I'm being repetitive here, but this isn't just an information drop kind of ministry that they're involved in. It's not an event. It's not a program. It's all of life. It's everything that they're doing. And we know from chapter 1 that the result was that they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That's the result of all of this. 
Even more, Paul says that they became imitators of us, the apostles, and the Lord. What a glorious chain. Paul looks at the character of God, models it, and the Thessalonians follow in his footsteps. That's discipleship. Teaching the gospel. Modeling a gospel-centered life. Calling others to imitate you as you imitate Christ. That's what I want to be all about. That's what I want to give my life to. That's what I want us to be about as a church. Teaching the gospel. Modeling the gospel. Calling others to do the same. And look at what he says in verse 14. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. That's a bit strange, isn't it? Why is that strange? Well, because Thessalonica and Judea couldn't be any more different from one another. Think about this. In Judea, you've got Jewish people and Jewish culture. Here in Thessalonica, you've got Gentile people and Gentile culture. And they're literally almost a thousand miles away from one another. And at the time of Paul's writing, there's no internet or television or Twitter. So you don't have the guys in Thessalonica listening to the Christian podcast of the guys in Judea. Yet, they're imitating them. How does that happen? Brothers and sisters, this is what the gospel does. It brings about changes in people's heart and in character. Regardless of whether you're a teacher or a lawyer, a European or a Russian, a Texan or a Californian, your culture and your economic status might be different. But the gospel has brought you into one family and changed your heart. You're part of the same family, the family of God. Regardless of your differences, you come from the same place. All of us, again, all of us with a capital A, were dead in our trespasses and sins, rebelling against God. And yet, we're born again and saved in the same way, by grace, through faith, in Jesus Christ. That's what this good news had done in Judea and in Thessalonica. And Paul notices the imitation taking place. What a beautiful mosaic that God is crafting, using the plaster of the gospel to unify so many differing places. That's what the gospel does. Finally, I want to call our attention to verse 13 very briefly. Verse 13. He says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So, in answer to the question, 
why was their ministry to the Thessalonians not in vain? I would point us to this. They accepted the word of God as the word of God. Look at the the two words used here. He says, when you received the word of God, you accepted it. There's two different things happening here. First, they're receiving the word of God. They're actually hearing it taught and preached. They're taking it in. But then, they're accepting it. Another way to say it is that they're embracing it. They're seeing it as beautiful, as valuable, as precious. I think of Psalm 19, verse 10 which, when speaking about the words of God, says that they're more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. They're embracing it as the word of God. This isn't just some good advice or self-help that's being peddled by the latest and greatest philosopher here. They know that the word of God is so much greater than that. It's authoritative. It's without error. It's life-giving. And they can trust it. Because that's true, they know that they can't just pick and choose what to obey or what to believe. It's not meant to be bent to my lifestyle or interpreted in the most tolerant way possible so as not to offend anyone. This is the word of God, and they accepted it as such. Friends, are you regularly receiving the word of God? Are you embracing it as the word of God? Are you allowing it to bend and mold your life instead of the other way around? Embracing the word of God as the word of God won't be in vain. Read it. Sit under the word taught and preached. Study it. Memorize it. Sing it. Pray it. Meditate on it day and night. Speak it to one another. Value it. Find joy in it. It won't be in vain. According to Ephesians 4, Every single one of us as Christians are called to be ministers. The question is, will our ministries be in vain? I want to leave you this morning with a charge. Have boldness in your God to declare the gospel. Minister to others like their family. Tirelessly give the gospel and yourselves. Live a holy life that displays the character of God. Call others to imitate you and watch God work. Embrace the word of God and teach others to do the same. Love God, love people, and make disciples. Let's pray.